0: you at first to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. We'll do a little bit of Bible journeying today. Um, Over the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing in um, on the Lord's first coming, or what we know as the Advent, the Advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And just so you know, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the promise of His coming the fulfillment of his coming, and what that has meant to us. What should it mean to us as believers, right? This is a time of year that is filled with commercialism, consumerism, materialism, every kind of ism that you could imagine. And the last thing that receives glory, honor, and praise is Christ. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to keep the focus on Christ. We want to put the emphasis on Christ and take a look at what is that, what is the significance of that first coming. But you know, much like Israel was, waiting for the promise of a Messiah, for born-again believers, for those of us in Christ, we're in the same situation that they were. We are waiting now for a second advent, for a second coming. And today what I want to do is I want to put our focus on the glorious return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to take us out of this day of confusion and chaos, out of this day of of commercialism and consumerism, And I want us to look, I want us to be focused on the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, to do that, we want to first take a look at that first advent. We want to see the Lord at his first coming. And as I mentioned, our, the main text today we're going to look at is Isaiah 61 verse 10. And Isaiah 61:10 reads as follows: "I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation, and He has wrapped me with robes of righteousness." as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We're going to take a look here. And here we're seeing in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, by the way, is one of the most famous passages, right? If you're familiar with the gospel, you know that it was Jesus who when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, And he went into the synagogue. He was handed the scroll to read and to make commentary. Well, our Lord read Isaiah 61. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, you'll see this very clearly. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. And Luke says this. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, him being Jesus. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Our Lord Jesus Christ declared himself right there in Nazareth that Isaiah 61 speaks of him. Now go back to Isaiah 61. Look at Isaiah 61, verse uh, one: "The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because He has, an, uh, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, and He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners." You can see right here that the the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before the birth of Christ, had wrote of Christ and his first coming. And what was Christ to do with that first coming? Number one, the Spirit of God was going to be upon him. He was going to act in the power and in the might of God. Number two, he was anointed, he was commissioned by the Spirit of God. And what was he commissioned to do? He was commissioned to bring good news to the afflicted, to bring the gospel to those that are under the bondage of sin. That's why Christ came, did he not? He came to say there was a release. He, was, he, he came to say there's a freedom. You can be free from sin. He goes on, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. We sang that great hymn by Charles Wesley. And can it be? And in the third stanza, what does Wesley say? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in night, nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I rose the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee at the proclamation of the gospel, all that are abound in sin. Upon receiving the word by faith, what happens? The chains fall off. The dungeon flames with light. The dungeon door swings open, and the captive is now free. How does that happen? From Christ proclaiming the good news of the glorious gospel. Jesus not only proclaimed the release of captives, but he gave spiritual sight back to the eyes of those that were blind. Spiritual sight. You know, one of my favorite things is whenever I'm, I'm talking to some of you or meeting with some of you, one of my favorite things is when the, the conversation always goes towards scripture. And we talk about the things of God. And hardly a week goes by where I'm not speaking to one of you about a spiritual thing. Well, how does that occur? Because God gave sight to the blind. When I was lost in my trespasses and sin, I was blind. All I could do was sin. All I saw was sin. All I thought about was sin. But when Christ came and released the shackles and he released the handcuffs and I was set free, he opened my eyes. And what did he open my eyes? He opened my eyes to the glory and the truth of God. You know, I, I, I always have this deep abiding concern. You know, we, we, we live in such troubled times. And because of 24-hour news and social media and YouTube and everything else, right? It just seems, this is my opinion, you don't have to agree, but it just seems that there is an overwhelming bombardment of negative things rather than positive things. And you know, that does something to your disposition if you allow it. When you're taking in negativity, 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 you tend to get a little bit skewed, don't you? It it, 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 kind of weighs on you. Oh, church, my heart's desire is that we would come back and see the beauty and the glory of Christ and see and fully comprehend the glory that is The gospel. The gospel is not merely having a right theology. That's just part of the gospel. But the other part of the gospel is the fullness and it's the joy. And it's released in the celebration that I am free. I have an opportunity to worship God. I'm able to cry to the Lord and the Lord hears my prayer. And he acts. I don't know that at times we come to grips with that or maybe, maybe all the other different things that are pressing in on our life obscure that. Israel prior to Christ, was mired in 700 years of formalism, traditionalism, wrong worship, bad kings, bad leadership. It was mired, it was bogged down in that. And then Christ burst onto the scene. And by the way, when he burst onto the scene, not a lot of people got that, did they? But you know, there were glimpses. And we see in the scripture, scripture, glimpses of this moment. And We see this with a few characters in particularly found in Luke chapter 1. Go over to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we see a glimpse of the glory of God. And the first person we see this with is Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 41. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth... In verse 41, and it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you love those words when you say they were filled with the Holy Spirit? And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. She was Mary's cousin. And when Mary went to visit her, look what happens. She gets a glimpse. How is it, verse 42, she cries out, how is it that you, the mother of my Lord, Lord of my Lord should come to me. Elizabeth had a glimpse and it was manifested even with the leaping of the baby. Imagine John the Baptist, that preacher of, of righteousness, even as, a, as, 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 as a, 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 a baby forming in the womb, upon hearing the words of Mary, she leaps for joy inside. There was a glimpse. We see another glimpse found in Luke chapter uh, 1 in Mary in verses 46 and 47, what we know as the Magnificent. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She knew. My soul exalts in the Lord. My soul rejoices. Notice this. In the God that is going to save her. Mary rejoices. Oh, we see this in Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. We know the story, right? It's... It's Made famous all the time, the shepherds you know the 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 angel- the heavenly hosts appear to the shepherd as they're keeping watch over their flock at night. Do you imagine that scene? Do you imagine how many nights those shepherds were out on that plain and nothing happened but maybe a wolf came by or a bear came by or you know Probably, you know, just hearing the sheep make noises that sheep make. And on that night, the heavenly hosts appear, right? And they say, glory to God in the highest. And it says that the shepherds were what? They were, the King James says, the shepherds were sore afraid. They were terrified. And you and I would be equally as terrified if that happened to us. And then they tell them, hey, I want you to go straight to Bethlehem, and you're going to find the child lying in a manger. And they, they go to Bethlehem, and they see the child, and they what? They worship the child. And look at verse 20 of chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Just as had been told them. The shepherds saw the child, but they were changed by the child. And it says that they went back glorifying God and praising God for all that they've seen and all that they heard. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, We go back to that text. The Lord Jesus Christ, speaking here prophetically, says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, in Yahweh. All caps. My soul exalts in my God. This is Christ. My soul exalts in God. For those of us that have been redeemed, for those of us that have been born again, for those of us who love the Lord, so should our souls rejoice in God. We should have exaltation. We should have praise because our hearts have come into the knowledge of Christ. Please, I beg you, Do not allow your relationship with Christ to be merely based on certain facts that we can all agree about, that Christ came, that Christ came to save, that, yeah, I'm a Christian, I I repented of my sins, I turned to Christ. But there should be joy and exaltation in that relationship. Look what Christ says of of what God has done for him. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. You know, when I read that, what scripture that reminded me of? 1 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The joy of salvation is not merely that you're not going to hell. The joy of salvation is in knowing Christ and coming to that place where you are in communion with Christ. The joy of salvation is in knowing the Holy Spirit. The joy of salvation is in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The joy of salvation is knowing that we have a Christ, we have a Savior, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints. The joy of salvation is in knowing that we have a Holy Spirit who prays for us with groanings too deep for words. The joy of salvation is contained in the fact that we have been given new life in Christ. That if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation all of the old things have passed away and behold everything has become new the joy of salvation is in knowing as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions. The joy of salvation is in knowing that thou hast taken my sin and passed it into the sea of forgetfulness. The joy of salvation is in knowing that we have a blessed Savior and because we have a blessed Savior, we have a blessed hope. And there's nothing that this world can do to take that from us. Oh, that God would open up our eyes and give us the eyes of faith while we look not upon the things that are seen for the things that are seen are temporal, but we look at the things that are unseen, which are eternal, That we walk not by sight merely the things that we experience every single day, the things that testify against us, but that we walk by faith. And we trust our Lord and Savior who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus who causes all things to work together for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. And let me share something. Some of those things that he causes us right to work for good on the exterior in the natural context of the world can look awfully negative. And they could look very trying. And they might test us at the core of our being, and it may occur that as we pass through this trial or we pass through this testing, that our knees get weak, our hands shake. It may be that the only prayer that we're able to utter is, "God, help me, please. I can't do it. Please help me, God." But we have that confidence knowing that he will work it for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. And something about Romans 8.26 there. He works it for his good for us, which is much better than our good and our desire. What a glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ. What a glorious salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. What a glorious privilege it is to know the Lord. What a glorious truth that our God holds the future. And what a glorious truth that if we were to pass away on this very day, that if we are in Christ, we have a certainty of a hope, a certainty of our hope. You know, one of the greatest things about being a Christian, about being a believer in Jesus Christ is this, the Word of God. It is the greatest thing. If we did not have the Word of God, we would have no anchor. We would have no place to to go to, to be reaffirmed, to be, comforted we would have no place to go to to cling to that truth and because god has given every believer the holy spirit to dwell within him we now have the ability that thy word i hide in my heart i hide it in my heart that i might not sin against thee and so consequently, it has been the Word of God for centuries and millenniums that have held other believers firm in Christ. I started out by saying we live in a day and we we're living in a time when it appears there's so much distraction, there's so much chaos. We fret, our spirits are vexed over how rapidly we see the enemy advancing, advancing, advancing. It seems at times that there are no checkpoints in place to the moral bankruptcy and the moral degeneracy of our society. But I submit to you today there is. And I submit to you, Christian, that we have a glorious truth and a glorious hope and a glorious Savior and before we, as we looked at the Lord's first advent, and now as we move into the second advent of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, it's my heart and it's my intention that God would now translate us to see the glorious hope, to see the glorious truth, to anchor ourselves and say, Oh my goodness. What awaits us in Christ? Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. This is the passage we use for our scripture reading. We talk about glimpses. The Word of God gives us glimpses of that future glory. Revelation 5 beginning with verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals? For thou wast slain, and thou didst purchase for, uh, for God with thy blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. They will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders And the number of them was myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion for ever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, "Amen." And the elders found out. The elders fell down and worshipped him. What a great! I think Jason captured it greatly when he prayed. He said, "What a great!" portrait we have here of our eternal glorifying Christ here is the glimpse of the glory of Christ and the glory of Christ should be our stay it should be our walk it should be our anchor look at verses 5 and 6 notice how Christ is portrayed he's portrayed in verse Six, as a lamb if slain, recalling vividly Christ's first coming when Jesus came and died for the penalty of sin. At his first coming, God in the form of man, tempted, tried, tested in all ways that we are yet without sin, in humiliation, He allowed himself to be accused. He allowed himself to be convicted. He allowed himself to be crucified and cursed. But no more. Here we see in Revelation chapter 5, he is now exalted. And he is ruling and reigning where? In glory. He's ruling and reigning in glory, right? Look at the second part there. He is seven horns and seven eyes. Christ was filled with the Spirit of God and with the power of God. He was filled. And notice who's with him there. You have four living creatures. You have 24 elders, which is the church. The church being raptured is already there, and they're there, and we're worshiping, and we're all seeing this glory, and we're seeing Christ take the title deed of the earth. If you go back in chapter 5 of Revelation 5, in verse 2, it reads, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping! Stop crying! Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and the root of David, has overcome, so has to open the book and it's seven seals. These are seven wax seals that are stamped closed that officiated a document. That's what these seals are. So the document's closed. It now needs to go to the rightful owner. The rightful owner is the only one who has the authority to open it by breaking the seals. And John in his vision at first is looking and goes, there's no one, there's no one. And you know what? There was no hope at that moment. He wept because he had hope. But another angel came by and said, hey, stop crying. The lion of Judah is worthy to break the seal. And so the lamb as if slain comes, breaks the seal, takes the title deed of the earth. And is now the rightful owner of the earth. This is the future inheritance. This is the future hope for every believer. Why? Because we will rule and reign with Christ. Look at verse 7 of chapter 5. And he came and he took it out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. And here we see the glorified, sovereign, holy, magnificent Christ, clothed in beauty and splendor. Only Jesus Christ has that rightful authority. Only Jesus Christ. Jesus made that statement. He goes, you know, you don't, that the Father has not even going to judge people. He's deferred all judgment unto Jesus Christ. Deferred it to me. He is the rightful ruler. What does that say? That when you are in Christ, when you are in Christ, you are with the rightful ruler of all things, which is why we beg, be made right to Christ. Listen, if you're not made right to Christ, you too will face that rightful judge. You too will face that ruler. But you will face him alone in your own sin, in your own works, which the scriptures say are are filthy rags before God. But this lamb who was slain extends to you. Come to Christ Be reconciled unto God. Repent and turn away from your sins and be made right. Listen, we are Christians not because there is any innate virtue in us. And we are Christians not because we're smarter than the rest of the world. And we are Christians not because we do more moral deeds than the rest of the world. We are Christians because we were sinners and we were sinners who repented and cried out to God and say, God, save me lest I die. In there, there is no glory for us. There's only glory for God. And now on that great day, when we stand there with the rightful judge, the rightful owner of all time, guess what? We're not going to have to stand there with fear and trepidation. But rather, we could stand there with confidence. As Job said, that I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he should stand on that day. Look at verses 8 and 9. And then when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders found out, fell down before the land, having each one harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and did, didst purchase for God with thy blood men and e- from every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Oh, you know how much I love where it says they sang a new song. All of the worship is to Christ our Lord, they sang a new song a song of joy, a song of praise, a song of exaltation unto our God. Thou wast slain and did purchase. And notice, he purchased for God with his blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And look at verse 10. Don't lose verse 10 in this. This is... Verse 10 is great here. In verse 10, look what it says. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom. There is the fulfillment, if you know, there is the fulfillment of that Davidic kingdom, right, that was promised, that his throne, that his line would never end, never end. He took these people, he made them to be a kingdom, and he made them to be priests those that bring the offering to God, those that prepare the worship for God. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. He says, "Ye are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people." He says that we are to call out the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has made us a kingdom and has made his people priest. We bring the worship. We bring the worship to God. We lead others to the worship of God. And one day, in purity, in holiness, without any kind of distraction whatsoever, we will bring that worship Before the very, very Christ, the exalted Christ, the lifted up Christ, the magnified Christ, we get to bring that. It was Christ who purchased with his blood people from every tribe and nation. And this beautiful, exalted Christ delivered those from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and on this day from the presence of sin. You realize you can't imagine what it would be to be delivered from the presence of sin. You can't conceive of it. But we will be delivered from the presence of sin. And notice this. Notice what is the response in heaven to this declaration of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11 and 12. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels round the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And a number of them was myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing hallelujah is right brother hallelujah is right notice the response is this thunderous this thunderous crescendo of praising that breaks out in heaven exclaiming the worth of jesus christ Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as this is written down, John uses very definite, definite words with very definite meanings. Look what he says. Worthy is the lamb. And that worthy properly means like, in other words, to weigh in, assigning matchless value. It's not just praising superficially it is praising and you are ascribing to Christ matchless value, incomparable value. He says, they cry out, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. We see that word all over the 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 New Testament, that's the dunamis power of God. It is the dunamis power of God. And it simply means the ability to perform. For the believer, it is power achieved by God. So he is worthy. And he receives that power, that inherent ability, power through God's ability. He goes on to say to receive power and riches and wisdom and might might means that strength strength that is absolute it's absolute strength right so it's that power it's that strength it's that force of god he goes on to say and honor honor is is basically it's perceived worth if you think about it that way especially It's perceived when it is in the eyes of God. So, in other words, they're receiving honor. This is the worth of God. The worth of God is put upon Christ, that great Redeemer. And then he says to receive glory. That is renowned, renowned, that it echoes throughout eternity. It is a divine quality. It is the manifestation of God, the splendor of God. Get this scene. This is an amazing scene. It's a scene we will be privy to if we are in Christ. And lastly, he says to receive blessing. And that blessing is adulation, praise, bestowing upon christ notice that scene worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and it's being spoken of by tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of voices that are making this proclamation Notice verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and dominion forever and ever. And I love verse 14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, amen, so let it be, so let it be. Amen, amen, God, as you willed it. Amen, amen, so let it be, so let it be. This praise, this worship, this honor does not cease. Amen to Jesus, praise God, let it be. Hallelujah to Christ, hallelujah, let it be. And the elders, the church, what does the church do? the church fell down and worshiped. Listen, the glory of Christ changes everything. The glory of Christ, the future inheritance of every believer in Jesus Christ changes everything. It is able to overcome life's harshest moments. It is able to overcome death. It is able to overcome discouragement. It is able to overcome depression. It is able to overcome bankruptcy. The glory of Christ is the game changer. And the glory of Christ is for all who put their faith and trust in Christ. I started by saying we have a certainty of hope. You know, we sometimes think as we look at the signs of the times that the church is desolated, the church is forsaken. Survey after survey just produces more pessimistic garbage about the church. But we are not forsaken. Believer, you are not forsaken. No matter what you are passing through, you are not forsaken. If you are in Christ, you have the certainty of that hope and that realization and that appreciation for the glory of Christ can be yours today. You don't have to wait for that great day that we see in Revelation, but it could be yours today as we humble ourselves in Christ, as we yearn for Christ, as we continue to let ourselves die to this world, as we shake off the mud and the dirt and the just the crud of this world and we desire to be holy and righteous vessels before God as we pursue him as we follow after him as we hunger and thirst for righteousness more and more of the glimpses of the glory of God become ours and we follow hard after Christ history is full of all those who lost everything for the kingdom of God, but stood firm for Christ, did not reject Him, did not turn away, did not go for the spoils of this world more than for the glory of Christ. If you ask what's the most important thing about any church, is that the glory of Christ Would be upon that church and upon the brothers and sisters in that church. The writer of Hebrews, he tells us to persevere. He tells us to hold. He tells us to remain fast. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the Father. We need to endure. We need to hold. We need to, to fix our eyes on the glory of Christ. We need to see what our inheritance is as a Christian, and we need by faith to cling to that and not allow ourselves to be moved. We need to sing. in Psalm 24, verses 7 and 8. Oh, the psalmist says, This lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. You know, the prophets testified of a time of great restoration and revival and renewal. And while they looked toward the future, they saw it dimly. They saw it dimly. But they encouraged themselves in the Lord. And it was the Lord that enabled them to endure. None of them were popular. None of them were popular They all emerged at times of of great difficulty in Israel. They spoke not during Israel's peak of its relationship with God or the height of their spirituality, but they spoke at the worst times in Israel's existence, in times of decline and apostasy. Now we, the church, sit on the verge of the Lord's second advent we sit on the verge of the Lord's second coming now we can hold now we can place our eyes on that future glory now we through the Holy Spirit can come into that place and get glimpses through the Holy Scripture of the glory of Christ And that glory can be our stabilizing factor. Paul wrote this to Titus. In Titus 2.11, he says this, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, the next four weeks are going to be full for some of chaos and everything else. Please, cling to the glory of God. Cling to that future hope. Cling to Christ. Listen, it takes effort. Cling to Christ. All that is of the world, all that has sinned, let it go. Let it go, but cling to Christ. Let's pray.